Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another week. A busy show today. We're going to talk about uh, some concerns that ag groups have with NRCS and their swamp buster regulations. We'll be talking with Chris Gruenhagen with the Iowa Farm Bureau about this issue and what the Farm Bureau is saying about needs what needs to be done when it comes to wetlands determinations. That's coming up a little bit later on the program. We're also going to talk with Brian Keel with Farmers for Free Trade. It's been a busy week in Washington, D.C. with ag groups on Capitol Hill talking with lawmakers about trade issues. We'll get an update on that. And Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation will be joining us as well. We're going to talk about proposed legislation for whole milk in schools and we'll talk about that a little bit later on also of course this is a huge day of uh, numbers coming from usda uh, the backlog from the government shutdown just a lot of numbers we will on monday have analysis of those numbers and uh, from the reports today that's all coming up on a monday show but right now we're going to kick things off with colin woodall vice president government affairs for the national cattlemen's beef association we want to talk about the Green New Deal proposed uh, by some House Democrats. And, Colin, I have to admit, ever since I've started hearing about this, I've kind of had in the back of my mind, wait for it, wait for it, because I just knew there would be something in there going after agriculture and, in particular, probably the livestock industry. And sure enough, there's a line in there about uh, uh, eliminating cows. Uh, You're exactly right, Mike. But it goes further than that. Basically, if you read into it, she just wants to eliminate life from Earth because they're talking about getting rid of all greenhouse gases. And, you know, they are just uh, short on details, long on a lot of big talk and definitely agenda-driven discussions here. But unfortunately, it is something that we expected. And we're probably going to see more of this over the next two years. We knew that when the Democrats took over the House of Representatives that climate change and greenhouse gas regulation would be top of mind. This is the first salvo in that fight. And again, it is definitely very broad, overreaching, and it doesn't have a whole lot of details on exactly what they want to do. So we continue to get asked, well, what do you think about this? And we have to respond until we see some actual details. Uh, It's hard to really understand exactly what they want, but as you said, they definitely have agriculture and especially the cattle business in their sites well they've raised a lot of eyebrows a lot of skepticism and obviously this won't go through as is but as you've pointed out the framework has been set this is going to be a big topic of discussion and an emphasis especially in the house over the next couple of years Uh, it will be we have to keep in mind that this is a, a resolution so unlike an actual piece of legislation it, it is not as binding as you would see with a with a house bill it's the house resolution which is meant which is meant to send you know kind of a general signal of what they want to do but we do know that the house natural resources committee is going to start some hearings on climate change and we'll see more of that here throughout the year uh, as we get approached about this what we are pushing back on is saying hey let's let's talk about the facts because they talk in generalities here, and all we have to do is look at the great story that the cattle industry has to tell. Uh, we are producing 
the same amount of beef today as we did 1977 with a third less cattle. Uh, that alone shows all the great strides that we have made to re- reduce greenhouse gases and to be more efficient. And we also have to remind the House and the Senate both that we are the best stewards of the air, the land, and the water, because without those clean resources, we don't have an industry. And I think a lot of that falls upon some deaf ears because they are looking at old reports, uh, things such as the U.N.'s uh, Livestock Long Shadow that was debunked uh, over a decade ago, but that stuff still continues to pop up, and that's what they're relying on rather than the actual facts that exist today. Yeah, they don't seem to want to give credit where credit's due as far as uh the environmental impact of the uh, livestock industry and the improvements that have been made and continue to be made, uh, it looks like their goal is uh, elimination. Their goal is elimination. Matter of fact, in the the summary that they originally put together that didn't make it in the last document, they actually talked about eliminating farting cows, and that was the exact language that they used. So it shows that we're not dealing with a lot of scientists here. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of bureaucrats that uh, know nothing more than just political agendas. And if we're going to have a discussion about greenhouse gases and climate change, uh, we need some uh, true scientists involved. And I doubt Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has any Ph.D. Uh, climate scientists on her staff. And I think that really shows out as you read this new deal. And also, she fails to answer the question of what this is going to do to the cost of living for not only every American, but everywhere, everybody over the globe. Uh, and she also fails to account for how she's going to feed everybody, knowing that a lot of the rangeland that's out there is not suitable for other crops, other food crops. And those are things that have to be discussed here. And again, they have been uh, left out of this discussion thus far. And obviously, if you look at the whole proposal, there's more than just uh, uh, environmental issues here. It's more of a a social program, uh, an agenda that uh, is at play there. Well, it definitely reads like a liberal manifesto, Mike, and I think that's what we really took from it as we read it yesterday when it came out, talking about health care, et cetera, things that have nothing to do with climate change or greenhouse gas. And, uh, again, our, our, our concern is we, we knew this was coming, but we really did expect them to do a little bit more footwork, a little bit more research before they would release anything to the public. Uh, this really is a irresponsible act on behalf of Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and those who supported it. But as you look at the lineup of people who are out there saying great things about it, it includes a lot of the current uh, Democrat candidates for president, including Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, for example. And also we've seen Al Gore jump in and say that this is a great idea. So I think all of these should be a great barometer of just how bad this idea is. But also it is a challenge not only to NCBA, but all of our friends in agriculture. We are just going to have to fight this tooth and nail to make sure that the actual facts are presented and that we can protect our industry from people who just don't understand where their food comes from. Yeah, you just can't dismiss it out of hand, even if you think it's ridiculous, because, as you said, of the people that are going to be pushing it and keeping it in the uh, in the discussion. You're right. You know, the Speaker of the House yesterday made what some people thought was a divis- uh, kind of a divisive comment, saying that this was the green dream, but Congressman Ocasio-Cortez took that kind of as, a, uh, as an endorsement, saying, yes, it, it truly is a green dream. 
And that's why we have to take this seriously because this is going to be the basis for hearings in all committees. As I said, the House Natural Resources Committee is already looking at some hearings. We will see more in energy and commerce, transportation, and infrastructure, et cetera, that are looking at greenhouse gases. And again, we, we have such a great story to tell, Mike, and trying to get that out there, much like we did with the Eat Lancet report a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is not anything new. We see these reports sometimes monthly. Uh, here in 2019, it's almost seemed like it has been weekly, where people have come out and try to blame us for everything, whether it's obesity, climate degradation, you name it, they like to point the finger at the cattle industry. But we have been able to push back with the facts. And because of that, we have been able to prevent the Eat Lancet report from taking off. Right. And we do believe that hopefully we can blunt this as well. All right, Colin, as always, thanks a lot. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about this in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall with NCBA. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Questions and concerns have been raised over NRCS's new swamp buster regulations and wetlands determinations. And um, Farm Bureau has weighed in on this, calling the rule unclear. Let's talk about it with Chris Gruenhagen, who is a with the Iowa Farm Bureau, their Government Relations Council. Chris, thank you for joining us. If you would, explain your concerns with the uh, Swamp Buster regulations. Yes, thanks for inviting me into your show today. Um, you know, NRCS has been our partner for decades in helping farmers address water quality, soil erosion, wildlife habitat. Um, they play an important role in helping our farmers with their conservation efforts. But NRCS has, you gotta remember, they're also a regulator. Um, they regulate programs with, called Swamp Buster and Highly Erodible Land. And so this rule actually um, goes in and talks about some of those regulations. And so we feel that those rules need to be very clear because those uh, violations of those rules have real impacts and consequences. So let's get into, uh, and I know environmental groups have weighed in on the, this issue as well. I think there's some things you agree with them on and some things you don't do, that you don't agree on. Uh, let's let's kind of lay out the the rule and what what you see as the problem areas here. Sure. Um, so, for example, when the 1985 Farm Bill was enacted, uh, Congress wanted to make sure that farmers could still continue to farm their land that they've been farming. Um, so it created some exemptions in that law, um, such as prior converted cropland, and you know there's lots of congressional history that, you know, once a land's been converted to farmland, it's always converted to farmland. And if you look at the rule it and the preamble to the rule, it talks about, for example, if that converted cropland was abandoned, then no, it's no longer going to be uh, prior converted cropland. And those kinds of things are real concerns to us. Um, we want to make sure that NRCS is recognizing that congressional intent and what the law was originally. Um, the law itself, and not to get too much in administrative law, but um, for decades this law has been implemented through guidance documents. Um, most agencies implement their law through statutes and regulations that go through notice and comment process where the public has a chance to weigh in. Um, NRCS really hasn't ever done that. Um, they have hundreds and hundreds of pages of guidance documents that are on the website that can change um, just by posting a new document on, the, on their, all their various websites. And so it's very difficult right now, or has been, for farmer individual farmers to know whether or not they're really in compliance with the law until NRCS comes in and tells them they are or they aren't. And when it comes to wetlands determinations, um, isn't there a question about the length of time that is used to make a determination? Yeah, there's a there's a difference between what there's a uh, like if you have a wet spot in your field, for example, you know it's different. Just a puddle, or is that a wetland? And so there's um, there has been in the NRCS rules a period of days that you look at for how long that puddle is there, essentially. In, but NRCS's rules are um, more restrictive than even the Corps of Engineers rules as far as how many days that, that puddle is there. 
Um, the Army Corps looks at 14 days, and our CS looks at seven days, for example. And so, you know, in some ways, there needs to be some consistency because farmers are dealing with multiple agencies when, they, when you're talking about wetlands. Um, but also, they need to recognize um, those statutory exemptions that Congress put in place. So you would hope a rule, especially a new rule, would be make things clearer and give more certainty, but it doesn't sound like you feel that's the case here. Yeah. Well, if you look at their def – first of all, they tie the definition of farmed wetland and prior converted uh, cropland um, together. And so the only way something gets determined to be prior converted cropland is if it doesn't meet the definition of a farmed wetland. And that's never been the case historically. Um, and then um, the, the, the proposed rule, I shouldn't say proposed, it's actually been enacted um, prior to any kind of public input to it. Um, but the, the definition of farm wetland allows NRCS to look at any one of a, a number of factors, and all you have to do is meet one of them. So if they see an, an aerial photo, if they, if they do one site visit, um, if they um, look, and there's also some, some data and analytics, which they don't define what that is, so we're not, the rule doesn't define what that is. So we're very concerned about a one-site visit, a one aerial photo, not looking, the NRCS under their new rule is not required to look at the totality of it and do an analysis and then perhaps do um, some confirmation of what their findings were with the aerial photo or the site visit. Instead of just doing that, it's a sole, sole reason why they decide right. to wetland. We're talking with Chris Gruenhagen, who is Government Relations Counsel for the Iowa Farm Bureau, uh, talking about concerns with NRCS's new swamp buster regulations, wetlands determinations. Uh, all right, Chris, so this new rule, uh, what is the process, or how are you trying to get it changed, to get NRCS to make a change? Because, as I mentioned, they're hearing from environmental groups uh, on the other side with their concerns as well. So where does this stand? Well, right now the rule is already in effect. Um, NRCS adopted this as an interim rule, which under our, the federal administrative law says that it goes into an immediate effect without notice and comment. Um, but it is taking comment on it. And so there have been a number, as you re referenced, there's been a number of comments that have been filed. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful that the NRCS will take this seriously, will look at the comments, and provide some um, clarification to the rule that's consistent with the statute. Now, is this separate from Waters of the U.S.? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so uh, if you are, if, if you're, the NRCS says that you're in violation of swamp buster provisions because you have farmed a wetland or you've tiled out a wet spot in your field. You, the consequences of that are you lose your farm program payments, you lose crop insurance, your crop insurance subsidy, you, you do not have the ability for conservation crop sh or cost share, you uh, won't have the ability to get operating loans, and so there's a lot of very major financial consequences for farmers to not be able to participate in those programs. The Waters of the U.S. issue is under the Clean Water Act, which is a separate statute, and the Corps of Engineers regulates um, wetlands as well as the EPA um, under, the, under the Clean Water Act. So the, the Waters of the U.S. rule, the Clean Water Rule that is 
uh, I think is going to be published here pretty soon, um, is, is a little bit different issue because it's a different statute. But clearly they are related. It just shows what a farmer has to deal with as far as the regulations, uh, differing rules, differing agencies. I mean, it's complicated. It's extremely complicated. And, and when you've been farming the land for maybe 50 years or better, um, or, or you're a young farmer that just buys a piece of property, it's difficult to know what regulations might apply. And so that's why um, you know, Farm Bureau is really wanting some clarification, both from the NRCS and from the EPA and the Corps of Engineers, about you know when is that puddle in your field a wetland and where the federal government's going to regulate you. So it's really important to get some clarity around these issues so that farmers can continue to farm and do their job. I mean, they want to comply with the law and the regulations, um, but do so you know while they're producing the nation's food, fiber, and fuel. Yeah, hard to keep up with the rules, and, uh, you know, you may think you're doing it right, and maybe you aren't. Uh, so what kind of a timeline or timetable do you see here, Chris, for maybe getting some changes in this? That's an excellent question. Um, the NRCS doesn't have a deadline for this, um, but clearly, um, you know, we're hoping that they start to look at this issue pretty soon. I would think by the number of comments and reaction they're getting, they would have to realize that something's up here, that there, there, there may be a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah. yeah, I think everybody recognizes this is a pretty important rule. Um, you know, for example, there were several ex- exemptions that Congress put in because they want to make sure that farmers can still farm. And so, like, one of those was a minimal effects um, exemption. And NRCS has never really fully implemented that. Um, currently, in order to uh, take advantage or, or to get that exemption, a farmer has to, first of all, has to know about it, and then they have to ask NRCS to do an evaluation, where the statute has always told us, under minimal effect, that um, in the exemptions that NRCS is supposed to examine the property to see if any exemptions apply before it decides you're in noncompliance. And so they've really turned, in that particular case, they've really turned it upside down um, from what the statute asked them to do. And so, yeah, we're, we're hopeful that they go in and, and create some clarification and, and are consistent with the statute here in the long run. All right, Chris, thanks for helping us sort through this. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep, thank you. Chris Gruenhagen, Government Relations Counsel for the Iowa Farm Bureau. Well, a lot of uh, ag groups have been on Capitol Hill this week talking trade with members of Congress. We're going to talk with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. 
Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The wait for new USDA data comes to an end today as the agency will release its WASD numbers covering January and February at 11 Central Time. The agricultural market said to be unsure of what to expect. Some analysts are forecasting a reduction in soybean inventories with an uptick in exports due to Chinese buying. Other forecasts making the opposite prediction. March soybeans sank to a lower close yesterday. The selling stalled right at trendline support, which comes in at 9.09 and a half on Friday. An hour into the trading day, we're unchanged at 9.13 and a quarter. March corn tumbled to the lower end of its recent sideways range on Thursday. The March corn contract is approaching support at 374 and three quarters. That marks the lower end of the neutral range that began forming since January 18th. On the upside, March corn facing resistance at 383. For the wheats, we are trending five to seven cents higher in Chicago after Thursday's losses. Kansas City wheat, two to three cents higher, and a penny or two better in Minneapolis spring wheat. Live cattle futures trending into positive territory on this Friday. Below freezing temperatures weighing on the Midwest once again with another winter storm set to hit next week. February live cattle up 95 at 127.25. Cash cattle, we've made it to a Friday once again without seeing much business. Asking prices likely to be holding firm at 126 to 127 versus bids of 121 on a live basis. Feeder cattle, March contract up $1.02 at 144.27. February lean hogs up 22 at 55.50. The Dow down 222 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A lot of uh, ag groups have been in Washington, D.C. this week talking trade with lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Joining us now to talk about that is Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, thanks for joining us. Busy week in Washington, D.C. for 
ag groups. Uh, I know you were part of all that. Uh, give us your thoughts on how it went. Oh, I think I think it's been a, a good week in terms of uh, participation in democracy. We've had a lot of farmers in Washington D.C. this week. Uh, farmers for Free Trade and Americans for Free Trade held a fly-in with over a hundred businesses, small businesses, farmers, uh, associations who came in and really hit the hill to talk to members of Congress about trade. Uh, and then I know that other associations, I know the corn growers had a fly-in this week. So it's it's been a busy week in Washington, D.C. To bring awareness to what's going on in trade, these trade issues, tariffs, and uh, the various uh, trade deals pending or being worked on, the importance to agriculture and to rural America, to the economy overall. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, the stakes can't be much higher. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about bank- farm bankruptcies increasing across the Midwest. You know, we, it's important, as much as we talk about trade agreements and tariffs and sort of highfalutin language, it's important to break it down and remember what we're talking about are people. Uh, what we're talking about are communities and families and impacts on, on whether someone can make a car payment and send their kid to college. And uh, it's important that the farm economy is strong because uh, when farmers are getting hurt, a lot of middle America is getting hurt. You know, there's also going on in Congress right now a, a battle of bills, uh, one that would uh, allow more uh, authority for the president to put tariffs on, and there's another bill that would restrict the president's ability to put on tariffs. So that's a big part of this and moving forward. That's correct. Yeah, there's a bill by Representative Duffy of Wisconsin that would give the president more authority. I think most people view that bill as dead on arrival. In fact, Chairman Grassley from Iowa said as much that that bill's not going anywhere. It's It's kind of a a, a symbolic bill, um, and and I don't think people take it very seriously. There are a couple of bills to rein in the president's authority to unilaterally put tariffs on on products coming into the U.S. Those I think people are taking more seriously because remember what's happened is, um, and, and this hasn't happened really before at this scale. This president has put tariffs on steel and aluminum imports into the U.S. Uh, on billions and billions of dollars of imports. Uh, from China, and that's kicked off a global trade war worse than any since the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, you know, going back to the Great Depression. So a, a number of members in Congress are saying, wait a minute, why does the president have unilateral authority to raise taxes on Americans? Because that's basically what's happening. We're putting taxes on products that Americans use. Um, and so I, I think a lot of members in Congress are beginning to think Congress should exert its constitutional authority because it's the constitutional president's strategy is to use tariffs to supposedly reduce tariffs, which um, we'll see how it plays out. But we know in the meantime, while that process is taking place, agriculture is certainly getting hurt. It is. And, and you know, I think there's, there's a big philosophical discussion that you just unpacked right there, which is, you know, using tariffs to reduce tariffs. Um, I think one of the concerns is you look at, for example, the NAFTA negotiations. Well, the U.S. put tariffs on steel and aluminum coming from Canada and Mexico. And at the time we did that, we said this is so we have leverage to get a better deal from Canada and Mexico on the NAFTA negotiations. 
All right, the NAFTA negotiations are now done. We have the deal with Canada and Mexico, which is a little bit better than NAFTA. It's not a lot different than NAFTA. But we haven't removed those steel and aluminum tariffs. And that means Mexico still has tariffs on U.S. pork, on U.S. apples, on U.S. Uh, uh, cheese. Canada has tariffs on U.S. Uh, processed foods. They're moving to Canada, which, of course, hurts the whole ag supply chain. If, the, if this is really about negotiation and leverage, then let's get those tariffs lifted. That, that deal is done. We've got a deal with Canada and Mexico that the president, Canada and Mexico, have agreed to. It's time to remove those tariffs if that's really what they're about. We're talking with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, was there uh, much discussion this week in Washington, D.C. about getting USMCA passed? There is some discussion. You know, the president mentioned it in the State of the Union, and certainly as we've been working the Hill, that's one of our talking points. And in fact, if I can make a plug, a really easy way for any of your listeners to get involved, it's really important that Congress pass the president's trade deal with Canada and Mexico, the USMCA deal. We need to stabilize the trading relationship with Canada and Mexico. Canada's our number one food and ag export uh, destination. Mexico's number three. I mean, those are the underpinnings of the U.S. ag economy. So we need to stabilize that relationship. We need to pass this trade bill. An easy way for everybody to, to help is if you take out your cell phone, we've set it up so that you can text to the 52886. So if you take your cell phone and go to your text, and you text to the number 52886, and you text the initials USMCA, it's all one word, so text USMCA to 52886. That'll bring up a form. You can send a letter to your member of Congress saying, get the president's trade bill done. And that'll allow us then to contact you to help you stay engaged on getting USMCA passed into law. So a really easy way for every farmer out there to, to add their voice to this very important topic. Okay, so you can do that on your cell phone. Text 52886-USMCA, and that brings up the form they'll need, right? That's correct, and it'll uh, it'll once you tell them where you live, it'll bring up your members of Congress and uh, and uh, a letter that you can send as is, or you can modify as you see fit and send a note off to your member of Congress saying, "Get on this and let's get this trade deal done." Also, of course, negotiations with China still the feeling it was positive after the last round of talks. Although now we're hearing that President Trump may not be meeting with the Chinese president before March first. Uh, does that concern you? It does. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the soybean disruption, and it's good that China's bought some more soybeans, committed to buy some more, but it's clear soybean purchases are way off from, from where they should be. So, yeah, it, we got to get that, that deal done sooner rather than later. You know, farmers are, are, are moving into planting and trying to make decisions about, about what they're going to plant, and uh, we can't afford to have this, this uncertainty drag through the, uh, through the summer and into, into harvest again. And then you hear trade officials, uh, our trade officials, say something like to the effect, well, maybe there's too much emphasis being put on soybeans and there's more to this than soybeans. Well, obviously there is, but the soybeans, from an agricultural standpoint, pretty important in this whole uh, uh, round of negotiations, these uh, ongoing talks with China. Right, yeah. I mean, certainly if you're, if you're a soybean farmer... If you're raising beans, it's pretty darn important and, uh, and important for whole swaths of, of middle America. Um, so that's a big one. But, it's you know, it's obviously more than soybeans when it comes to ag. I mean, pork exports, uh, dairy, uh, 
fresh fruits and vegetables, nuts. I mean, no matter where you are in agriculture, this, this issue affects you. When you were on Capitol Hill, um, you know, I'm thinking about watching that State of the Union address and the obvious divisions within our country and divisions within our, our, our government on just about every issue, it seems. Um, and it, among some, a w- no willingness at all to give anything that would look like a victory to the president. you got a lot of people in Congress running uh, for president against him. Uh, right. It just seems like it's going to be tough to get the, some of these things done that need to get done. Well, I think I think you're right, and that 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 partisanship and that divide is is very concerning. You know, it's important for people to remember trade. Trade has always been a bipartisan issue, and it doesn't break cleanly along Republican or Democratic lines. There are Democrats who are protectionists, and there are Republicans who are protectionists. There are Democrats who are free traders, and there are Republicans for free who are free traders. A lot of it breaks down really on geography. That you know, if you're if you live or if you're a member of Congress, and you represent an area that is export dependent. Um, so you know, farm country, uh, as an example, you tend to be more in favor of free trade because you understand that again, individuals, families, communities are depending on our ability to ship products overseas. Um, so a lot of this is really a geographic fight as much as as a, as a partisan fight. Well, what's your next step? Uh, you had your uh, your fly in this week. What's next? Well, there's a couple of things. We're going to be at uh, Commodity Classic in Orlando at the end of the month. Uh, we'll be uh, pushing the USMCA campaign pretty hard there. So again, that's the texting uh, USMCA to five two eight eight six. We'll be working with the commodity organizations at Commodity Classic to talk about the importance of that trade deal and to try to get people engaged. Uh, we'll also be continuing our effort with town hall events around the United States. We're planning one in Iowa. Uh, we uh, will be having one in Florida coming up. We just had one in South Carolina and one in Houston. So we're holding events to raise awareness about tariffs and the fact that tariffs are taxes. We're talking about taxes on American families and American businesses. And we'll be doing our best to continue to raise awareness about the importance of rolling back those taxes. All right, Brian, again, uh, if folks want to uh, weigh in on uh, with their member of Congress about USMCA, just text USMCA to 52886. All right, we'll see you at Commodity Classic then. I appreciate it, Mike. I'll look forward to it. All right, see you then. Thanks. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, and part of uh, a lot of groups, a number of groups on Capitol Hill this week talking trade with members of Congress. Well, there's some proposed legislation on getting whole milk into schools. We're going to talk about that next with Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. 
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The National Milk Producers Federation is supporting legislation sponsored by Representatives Glenn Thompson from Pennsylvania and Colin Peterson of Minnesota, the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act, which would allow whole milk in school nutrition programs. Here to talk about it with us is Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation, Alan, thanks for joining us. It would seem like a no-brainer, whole milk uh, for kids in school. But I guess the hang-up is over whole milk. Is that it? Well, it is. And the support for this act in in some ways reflects evolutions in nutrition science. I mean, whole milk was part of the school lunch program, you know, back when you and I were kids. Um, Mm -hmm. As as you had different findings as far as what was considered best for, for children's meals, you saw a move more toward reduced fat and even non-fat milk in schools in recent decades. Now, the dietary guidelines are are going to be looking at this issue in in the next round that's coming up. Um, We we don't want to get ahead of the dietary guidelines, but, you know, the impact of of the right kinds of fats on diets, um, there's some research that's pretty intriguing, um, and... You know, regardless, uh, whole milk is, is, a, is a healthy addition to, to children's schools. I mean, it has a place in the palate of things that, that nutritionists can offer. We're just basically trying to give uh, nutritionists and school lunch professionals a, 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 another tool in their toolkit to ensure healthy kids. Whole milk is kind of back in again, right? Well, you do see a lot of people who are really swearing by it. Um, again, you don't want to get too far ahead of, of what people are, are, are really looking in terms of scientific consensus. But, again, the, the attitude towards fat has been evolving in the last few decades. And, and there, there's a, definitely a, a body of evidence and, and, you know, consumers who also are saying, hey, this is something that, that would be potentially beneficial to kids. We really should consider including it in the school lunch program. does have bipartisan support, the bill does. Well, that's refreshing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it has support from, you know, the chairman of, of the uh, Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson of Minnesota, and the former chairman, the now-ranking member of the House Agriculture, uh, Michael Conaway. Um, you know, Glenn Thompson uh, from Pennsylvania, strong supporter, strong advocate for, for dairy as part of a nutritious uh, health offering in schools, and uh, we certainly applaud the introduction of this legislation. We're talking with Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, a lot of going on right now. Uh, bring us up to date on uh, the uh, the labeling uh, uh, issue with when it comes to imitation dairy products. 
So, of course, in late January, you had the closing of the comment period with the FDA, where they were soliciting uh, views from people on what they think the FDA should do. We've been pretty clear that we think the FDA should enforce its existing standards of identity on dairy labeling. Um, there were more than 13,000 comments. Uh, we still aren't able to see all of them. Uh, viewing of a lot of comments was, was slow during the government shutdown, and we haven't seen those comments come back up yet, so we just know the numbers. Um, of course, now the FDA has to look at these comments and decide whether or not they're going to do something. Um, we have clear ideas as far as what we should be doing. One of the developments you saw last week was the release of a letter signed by uh, 10 first-term lawmakers in the House of Representatives. It was led by a Republican, uh, John Joyce of Pennsylvania, and a Democrat, uh, newly elected Anthony Brindisi of New York. Um, they were both saying, look, we support uh, the position of the FDA enforcing its existing rules. Um, we just got to Congress. We're going to add our voices to support, which is significant. Uh, there was a letter last fall showing support for this position from 48 members of the House of Representatives. So, again, you know, you're continuing momentum of this. You know, we would like to see this problem fixed. If it were a legislative fix, you know, great. Um, I, I, we're still focusing very much on regulation. You know, there's a very easy fix for the FDA. They can just start enforcing their own rules. But anytime you have support from Congress and, and you can talk about it, you know, it gives me a reason to talk about this, this initiative on your program. It gives a reason for other people to pay attention to it. And I think the FDA needs to know that people are continuing to pay attention because if they don't, it's easy to let a matter like this drop and sort of continue with the status quo that we don't consider satisfactory in the dairy industry. Also, Alan, dairy farmers can... Now enroll, they have three programs to, that could help them, the Dairy Margin Coverage, formerly known as Mar Margin Protection Program, and uh, two crop insurance policies, the Livestock Gross Margin and Dairy Revenue Protection. Um, so there are these three programs, but Colin Peterson, Chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, has uh, kind of raised the concern and skepticism that uh, uh, USDA's Farm Service Agency can really... Uh, handle these programs, and there's a lot here to deal with and what can or cannot be done. Are, are you concerned about confusion out there w among dairy producers on this? I don't think there needs to be any confusion as long as you have clear explanations and the USDA really, you know, has a sense of how these different programs can appeal to different producers. You know, as you noted, the, the dairy revenue protection and, and the LGM program, those are very much crop insurance-like programs. Uh, uh, they're tied to often price projections and futures markets. The dairy margin coverage program is, is the elephant in the room. I mean, that is meant to be the main uh, thrust of the dairy safety net. I think if, if FSA, you know, gets out its rules on that quickly, which the USDA has, has pledged to do, um, I think you get that implemented. I think farmers really need to look closely at that program. I, I think I've seen the same interview with the congressman that you're referring to. You know, he was saying that if farmers don't sign up at the 950 level, you know, the maximum level of coverage for their first 5 million pounds of, of milk, I think the word he used was they have rocks in their head. Um, we also think that farmers should look very, very closely at the DMC. There are situations for certain producers in certain situations where those other programs could be very strong and very viable. But, you know, can FSA handle these? Well, FSA handles a lot of things, um, and they do a very good job of, of walking and chewing gum at the same time. We're confident that with the right focus from USDA, they can do that on these dairy programs as well. Farmers don't need to be confused. They have a palette of options to choose from, and with the right resources, we're confident they can make the right choice. 
Yeah, a lot of options there, and they need to take a look at them, see what works best for them. All right, as always, Alan, thanks for being with us. Good to talk with you. Thank you for your time. Take care. Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. So a lot going on and uh, been another busy week. Uh, Remember, next week, Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be in Orlando, Florida for the National Ethanol Conference and broadcasting from there a lot lot of issues concerning E15 and the RFS and just the state of the uh, ethanol industry right now. So that's coming up Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Coming up on Monday, we'll uh, go through the news and, of course, the weather. Weather, a big issue again, more very harsh winter weather in parts of the country. We'll be talking about that and going over uh, today's USDA numbers as well. That's coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us, everyone, right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.